Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Clever Girls Know podcast. This is Bola from clevergirlfinance.com. So let me ask you this. What would you do if you made $55 million a year? And do you think that you could possibly spend it all? Well, on today's episode, I have an awesome guest. Her name is Sarah Webb. She is the COO and also the primary finance contributor for plaidforwomen.com. And this episode was so much fun. You're going to hear me laughing a lot. Um, Sarah and I got into a number of different topics. We talked about what you should do when you pay off your debt. So let's say you're close to paying off your debt or you have actually paid off all of your debt. What should you be doing with that extra money you now have in your budget? We also talked about how you can determine exactly how much you need to retire and how to start planning for that. And then we talked about Sarah's experience over the course of her career of working as a CPA, um, working with high net worth individuals and also high income earners and what she saw. So one example she gave was when she had to file a $55 million tax return for someone who had earned $55 million that year. And we got into the characteristics of these high income earners versus the high net worth people. And it was a very interesting conversation. Also, I just wanted to make a quick note. When we're talking, you're going to hear me talk about being offered an ARM mortgage. And an ARM mortgage is really ARM. It's an adjustable rate mortgage, which is a home loan or a home mortgage that has an interest rate that can change periodically. So I didn't define that, but I wanted to make sure that, you know, for those of you who don't know what an ARM is, that you understand what I'm talking about when you get to that point of the podcast. But before we get into this episode with Sarah, if you haven't already subscribed to the podcast, please do. You can subscribe on iTunes. SoundCloud and on Stitcher and there's also episodes of this podcast on YouTube. Just search Clever Girl Finance and subscribe to the YouTube channel as well. And if you haven't stopped by clevergirlfinance.com in a while, head over there and subscribe so you can get access to my resource library. There's a ton of new content on the blog to help you work on improving your finances and just to keep your mind in that zone of financial well-being. So let's get into my conversation with Sarah. You guys are gonna like this one. So welcome to the podcast, Sarah. I'm excited to have you here. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. I'd love for you to introduce yourself to the audience, tell them who you are and what you do. Yeah. Well, I am the president and COO of PliedForWomen.com. We're a media company that focuses on inspiring content for women. Um, I'm the primary financial contributor. I'm also CPA, so um, there's a special love right there. Um, but we interview amazing women on a weekly show, and we talk about our No Mean Girls campaign, which is all about women supporting women, first loving themselves, because we're kind of one of our biggest critic, and then helping other women along the way. So that's what we're about. I love the idea of the No Mean Girls campaign. <laughs> that's awesome. And you know, when it when it comes to women, as we relate to our money, there's a lot of self-judgment. And you mentioned being self-critics. And it's important to dispel that whole idea of you're not doing something right. And maybe it's you, you know, and I really love the campaign you guys have going on. That's awesome. Yeah, thank you. We, we're always our worst self-critic. My critic stands on my shoulder. It's like the little <laughs> devil and angel and, you know, kind of says, you're not good enough. You're not doing this. And uh, we have to dispel that myth because we are enough. Yes, we absolutely are. So let's kind of jump in and I'm going to be asking you some questions as it relates to your background because you're a CPA, you're the CEO of an awesome platform <laughs> and you're responsible for the finance content. And so what are one of the first things that someone who has paid off debt needs to do when it comes to savings? Because one of the big questions I get from women, you know, are that, okay, I'm working on paying off my debt or I have paid off my debt and I just don't know where it's where to start when it comes to savings. 
Yeah. Well, first, this doesn't constitute tax advice. I'm sure I have to put some kind of disclaimer. <laughs> but, you know, when you pay off that last debt, man, you need to go celebrate. And that doesn't mean spend a lot of money. That means enjoy the moment. Take a deep breath. You know, pour yourself a nice glass of wine. Do kind of, you know, some small something that maybe you haven't had room for in your budget because, you did it. I mean, that is just an amazing feat. And you make yourself that promise that you're never going to go back into debt again. Um, but now that you're kind of like done with this debt, like you've been focusing on this goal, no matter how long you've been working on it, you've been intense on like, okay, I'm going to pay this off. I really feel like the first step after that is to determine your new monthly living expenses. So if you've been making big student debt student loan payments, your budget really looks different now. And so going back and you still kind of do the budget. It's going to be a little looser because you, you know, you don't have that intensity, but go back and figure out what your new monthly living expenses are now that you're debt free and really build, um, aim to build an emergency fund. It's three to six months of your living expenses, which is going to be a lot smaller than you think it is. Cause I think when we first think about this, you think, Oh, that's half my salary. No, your living expenses should be less than what you're bringing in per month. And I think you'll get there pretty quickly, especially if you've, you know, been paying um, some big debt payments. So I'd say first, determine your new monthly living expenses and then set a mini a micro goal of three to six months of those expenses. That's really important. Um, a lot of people, you know, they get to the point where they've paid off their debt and then they have this big chunk of money available and they may forget that they need to readjust for their new living expenses. You know, a lot of people are like, oh my God, I have money now. And they do go out to celebrate, but then some people tend to over-celebrate, you know, buy what they don't need, overextend themselves, and then it's right back into the cycle of debt. So what you mentioned is really key. It's important to take an assessment, celebrate in a small way, you know, get Yeah, I'm talking nice. about get a pedicure, not go buy a new car. <laughs> like, that's the difference of, like, the levels exactly. I'm talking here. <laughs> exactly. And then you want to take an assessment of, okay, what is it going to cost for me to save? I mean, cost for me to, cost for my new living expenses. And that includes now saving and investing. So when it comes to saving for goals, you know, people have different kind of goals, buying houses, buying cars, vacations, kids, retirement. What is the best way to start planning out your allocations? Um, and for people who are a little confused, you know, uh, one of the big questions I get is, should I hire someone or should I do it on my own? Well, I think first you need to set short-term and long-term goals. And these are two to three in each category. Um, because if you have too many goals, you have money going in all different directions and I don't know. It just doesn't give you as much umph. So I would say, okay, a short-term goal. Do you need to purchase a car in a few years? That would be a short-term goal. I think anything less than five years. Or maybe when you were working on debt, you didn't remodel. You have crappy carpet in your house. That's That was always my thing. I'm like, I'm going to get new <laughs> carpet one day. And so you have these small goals, and you need to look at what it takes to complete them. So if you need a new car, then maybe your car has two to three more years. Then that's a short-term goal, and you might start setting money aside so that when that car dies and it's, you know, you have a big pile of money, whatever your goal is, say, say you want to spend $20,000 on a car, divide that by three years and you come up with a monthly amount you would put into your car budget. Mm. On the long-term goal, I would look at, okay, what are your big goals? Do you want to buy a home? Um, and if you own a home, do you want to pay that off? Do you have children? Do you, do you think you want to send them to college or is that something they're going to do on their own? Um, 
where is your retirement at this point? A lot of people stop saving into retirement temporarily when they're paying on debt. And so you may need to have a little catch up there. So these long-term goals are anything greater than five years. And they're not going to be able to say like, retirement. I, I get this a lot. Retirement's not a monthly budget amount. You know, it's not like, oh, if I put $100 into my retirement, I'll be good. It's really an um an equation from your income. So sometimes we talk about setting aside a certain percentage of income. My retirement goals, I don't want to eat cat food. Like that's <laughs> my thing. Like it's just, I don't need like an extravagant lifestyle, but you know, I don't want to, I don't know. I just, I need to be able to live at my standard of living now. And so when you're looking at retirement or kids college or something like that, I recommend percentages versus a set dollar amount. So for retirement savings, I'd look at 15% of retirement, 15% of your current um, income into retirement savings. And then based on where you are with your kid, um, if you're thinking about college, um, I would set aside a monthly amount or a percentage of your income. I think on the professional side, like, do you need a professional? No, I think on short-term goals, you definitely do not need a professional. This is just a, a calculation of how much do I need? How much time do I have? I think when you're talking about retirement and kids college and some of these very big where you're depending on the market, I think it's important to hire a professional um, who's really a teacher and not, you know, if you've got a sales vibe, you're in the wrong. <laughs> yeah, you're in the wrong office because um, there's a lot. It's it's first about education. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, I usually tell people when I talk to them that when it comes to setting your goals, like focus on three to five goals first. Don't overwhelm yourself with a hundred different goals. Otherwise, you're not going to accomplish any of them. And once you've kind of got into a smooth pace with these three to five goals and you have started accomplishing them and making progress, then you can say, okay, let me reassess and see what goals I'm done with, what I need to add on and things like that. And the retirement piece I love what you said about it not being a dollar amount. It's not you saving $100 every month and saying, I'm going to be good. You know, one of the things I do is I tell people to think about based on their current lifestyle today, how much ideally would they want to live on every year in retirement, considering the fact that you probably hopefully have paid off your home (laughs) Mm -hmm. and your kids are out of the house. So you're not going to have those two big expenses. Your cars are hopefully paid off. Um, how much do you imagine yourself living on in a year? And even if you don't know what that number is, then, okay, you want to take X amount of vacations. What is that dollar number each year? You want to be able to go shopping. What's that dollar number each year? You want to be able to have a second home. For, maybe you want to have a home in Florida or in Europe, whatever. What is that amount each year? And then take that number and multiply it by 20 to 25 years, which is the average length of retirement, and divide it by the amount of time you have until when you want to retire. And it, it'll give you a number. And it can be a shocking number. Cause like, but- <laughs> I think I'm going to pull out my calculator right now. Like, am I on track? <laughs> but it'll help you put into perspective, you know, is that hundred dollars a month? Does it, is it really going to get you to, you know, be able to take a cruise on the Mediterranean with your family every year? So it kind of helps put things in perspective. But I also love the fact that you said a percentage. So if you make a certain amount of money, like a hundred thousand dollars, then maybe you want to think about saving 20% of it, you know, each year towards your retirement, um, you know, assuming you don't go over the backs of your whatever plan you have. And you can even re- you can even save outside of the different plans, um, mm-hmm. retirement of the employer sponsored plan. You can have your own IRA. You can do non-retirement investing for retirement. So, um, yeah, those are really awesome points. 
Well, I was just going to say, and we don't need to forget about married couples or if you have a significant other, that that needs to be discussed together. Yes. So, like, I mean, <laughs> so it's not just your income. You've got to support the whole household and his or her income doesn't have to support the whole household. It's, um, it's about coming together. And I think that's part of the conversation. And I think that's one good reason to have a third party to help you with the retirement planning because... I guess between me and my husband, we both think we're smarter than each other. So my husband and I had um, a retirement meeting. I mean, let's stop here. He's an attorney. I'm a CPA. We send each other meeting notices. Okay. (laughs) So we had a retirement meeting on where we were on our finances. And I'm like, my retirement dream is to have a beach house and this. And he's like, my retirement dream is to have a farm. And I'm like, okay, well, those are like in two different, I've never seen a beach farm. So we're going to have to bridge those. Um, But if we hadn't really talked about it, I mean, it's not something we talk about every day, right? Life happens. So um, I think that having that third party professional, it's almost like a counselor, right? Mm -hmm. For um, when you have a partnership like that. Yeah. And sometimes a third party is necessary, especially if, you know, like you are one example, but there's other couples where both of them are like, oh, well, I don't really know what to do. Like, how do we plan long term? What would we plan for our kids? And, you know, they have the means, but they may not necessarily have the background to be able to make some of the decisions. And so it's just getting that guidance. And like Sarah said, not if you feel like you're being pitched to invest in something, to buy something, and it's, you know, you're not getting the education you need from the meeting, then you need to cut it short and be like, you know what, thank you so much. But, and it doesn't hurt to, to do your own research, to start to educate yourself. And I'm a huge advocate of self-education because even if you're going to work with a third party, right? Even if you're going to sit down to talk to someone who specialized in insurance or estate planning or things like that, you want to be able to um, have an have an educated conversation with them. And one example that comes to mind is when we were trying to buy our house, um, I have invested in real estate in the past on my own before I got married. And so I spent a lot of time figuring out how it works, the process, you know, the schedules, how you qualify. And when we went to sit down to buy the house, we sat down with the mortgage broker and she was just coming up with all kinds of reasons why, what, because she had qualified us for an insanely amount, an insanely large mortgage. And I was like, um, yeah, that's not what we're looking for. It's not in our budget, but thank you for giving me all this money. And she's like, oh, no, you know, you just have to, you know, just take a, an arm, take a this, take a that. I'm like, I don't want an arm. I want a fixed mortgage. Like you're, And she's like, are you in real estate? <laughs> and I was like, no, but I know what I'm talking about. So you're not going to get one over on me. So <laughs> it's important yeah. to have that education. So when you go into the meetings, you can have an informed conversation and nobody can kind of play you for a fool because a lot of times, unfortunately, that's what happens. Yeah. With my first mortgage, I had to look at the guy and be like, look, I did not fall off the turnip truck yesterday. So, <laughs> um, and I mean, and I'll say, so my husband and I are both professional. I mean, obviously this is something I'm very passionate about. I know a lot about it. I, I'm in it every day. And I mean, I'm professionally trained and I still seek professionals mm-hmm. because I don't want my ideas or my big dreams to like get out of whack. And so sometimes I need someone to like pop that bubble. And so I even bounce my ideas around a professional advisor because I, this is retirement is too big of a time period and it's such an impact on your life 
it's like it's like if you had cancer and you didn't go to the doctor. I mean, like that's just crazy. You go to a professional. Like this this is such a big part of your financial life mm-hmm. and your legacy, quite honestly. Um, that it just it's important to have a professional involved. And it doesn't have to be expensive. Like don't think that this is an expensive thing. I probably meet with my person once or twice a year. Twice a year means like I have lots of questions and I've been reading online, right? But I mean, it's not it's not expensive and it's very it's worth the investment. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. It's important, you know, if you have an inkling that you need help, go out and get the help. And yeah. So, Sarah, one of the things that you do is you work with people who have a lot of money, <laughs> a.k.a. high net worth individuals. Right. <laughs> and so in your experience working with these people, you know, what are the common traits you see in them? Like how, I guess from your experience, how have they become high net worth? How do they stay high net worth? What are their characteristics? Like what makes them tick? Yeah. So very early in my professional career, I prepared tax returns for high net worth individuals. And what, and is, high, what we, is high net worth? <laughs> like, um, to me, I mean, a lot of people think it's a million dollars. These people had like 25 plus million dollars of net worth. So um, assets minus liabilities equals net worth. And so a lot of times they didn't have any, any liabilities, right? They owned everything or mm-hmm. um, things like that. But if we back it up a little bit, so when I was um, 15, and I think well, you'll ask me this later, but my I read The Millionaire Next Door because I was convinced at 15 that I was going to be a millionaire. Like I just had this, I don't know, this idea, like I'm going to be a millionaire. I'm going to figure this out. And my dad was like, you know, millionaires don't actually look like, I'm probably watching something on TV and like saw someone glamorous and just thought, oh, they're a millionaire. And so I read The Millionaire Next Door and Plumbers are millionaires and just people that we don't think are millionaires. Millionaires drive used cars and millionaires um, own their own home and they work middle class jobs. I mean, it's it's not rich and famous is, is the whole point of the book. And so um, went off to school, became an accountant. And so I worked preparing tax returns. And there's two different types of high net worth individuals. There's those that have a bunch of assets, like the 25 million, and they live off their assets. And then there's those what I call high income earners. So I did a tax return for someone who had $55 million on their W-2 line. And I'm like, why are you still working? Like, Like, why do you have to work if you made $55 million in a year? And so when I saw these tax returns, especially um, the asset people, so the asset people were wranglers. They dropped off their stuff in like a Target bag, like, you know, all like think crumbled receipts. And so when I started, yes, people, please don't do that to your tax preparer. I got shoeboxes. I got all this stuff. And the individuals who had a lot of assets used their money to make money. So they had rental properties. They had farmland. They had big mutual fund portfolios. Um, some of them had jobs, but it wasn't it wasn't a $55 million job. These people built assets and used those assets to make money. And that is how they managed their life. They, did, they were the millionaire next door. Um, now, the big wage earners, these people, why are these people still working? Why on earth, when you make $55 million a year, are you still working? $55 these million? Pe- these people are spenders. Oh, God. Okay? Yep. So, not that they can spend $55 million in a year. I obviously did a lot of tax returns. That was like, 
an anomaly. So people who made, let's just say $500,000 a year, that's, that's a lot of money, $200,000 a year. Why are these people still working? Why? So you look at your, um, if their tax returns, they don't have a lot of interest income. They don't have um, a big portfolio. So what, what this told me is that people who earn a lot and you see that big and splashy life, they either have a lot of debt, they spend all their money, they're not thinking about the future because they've got this awesome income and they think that it will go on forever. And so I really kind of classified these people into two different buckets. The asset people who looked like you and me and you know they seemed like normal Joes and then people who were big spenders and they seemed very flashy and they seemed to have it all. But if you looked at their tax return, they weren't big givers. They didn't have big portfolios. And it was just shocking to me because you see these people and you're like, oh, my gosh, I totally want to mimic their career. Or, you know, like they just they have it all. They really didn't have it all. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's actually played out in social media today. I didn't do we didn't have social media when I first started. But I think you see that perfect life. And um, it's just it's not real. Yeah. And I think that, you know, a lot of people too, who are, you know, they make a couple hundred, a few hundred thousand dollars a year. And to them, they think they're rich and they take on that flashy lifestyle without, and they're trying to compare themselves to, I don't know, some celebrity or someone they know who is like a high, high, high net worth person with a lot of assets, forgetting that the difference between them is the fact that this person has already made their $25 million and they have money to spend versus you who is spending everything you're earning and you don't have any assets to tie back to it. And that's, you know, that's, it's really something to think about. And you had talked about, you don't think anybody can spend $55 million in a year. And I'll tell you that they can. (laughs) And there's, there's this example that I use when I do speaking events around, you know, if you gave me $50 million, right, and you wanted to spend it, I'll show you how to spend it just based on watching how some of the people in the world who are famous spend their money. For instance, you have $55 million and you decide, you know what, I want to own a private jet. Well, a second hand, not even a brand new G450, which is a plane that is like maybe, I know it's several years old now, is going to cost you $45 million, first of all. So you only have 10 left. And let's not forget, you're going to have to pay a pilot salary. Um, then you can't just have a private jet and not have a fancy house. So we're talking about a couple million dollars in a house. If you buy this house in cash, let's talk about your real estate taxes. Let's talk about the few hundred thousand you're going to use to furnish this mansion. Let's let's talk about your Ferraris and your Lamborghinis. And of course, what about the clothes and the jewelry? Like you can spend $55 million. <laughs> so, so in my one of my third lives, I was actually the CFO for a small um, plane maintenance company. So mm-hmm. what they did is they serviced individuals who owned private planes mm-hmm. and they did the repair. So just like you have to have your car um, oil change and I mean yeah. just repairs and a car and a plane can live for like 30 years if it's well maintained um, and let me tell you ladies never own a plane even if you make 55 million <laughs> the upkeep on a plane is crazy and I can help you fly a lot cheaper you don't have to fly commercial if you got the 55 you can million rent. you can rent it's the way to go um, <laughs> and so I would see these people and I'd be like wow you know they own a private plane and then I'm like oh my gosh this is outrageous I mean um, of what people will spend. And then you have to have a great interior, right? I mean, yeah. you can't have a, you, no shag carpet. I mean, planes do live a really long time, so people redo the interiors yep. often. So I had read somewhere that jet fuel from LA to New York is $10,000 one way. 
<laughs> I don't know if that's true. I read it somewhere. <laughs> But you're gonna have a lot of expenses, maintaining a plane, maintaining your fancy cars, doing landscaping, your fancy house. So it's, you know, and it's not that you can't have $55 million and live a fabulous life, you can, but it's, again, it's planning out this money. Do you need to buy the plane? Can you just rent one when you need one? If you have to fly private, for example, like, you know, I'm talking high net worth now. Do you, <laughs> do you need to buy those fancy cars? You need five Lamborghinis, maybe you only need to get one. So. <laughs> If you're listing and you're a high net worth individual, there's a difference, like Sarah explained. There's those who actually have the money and the assets, and there's those who are just earning the money, but they're spending it all, and you want to be in the latter category. Uh, I love that conversation. <laughs> so when it comes to The Millionaire Next Door, I was actually going to say something about that. That's a really good book. Um, and to be honest... Um, I'm a huge fan of the book, but I, I don't think the author would be entirely happy with me. <laughs> well, he's passed away, so he's, okay. he's, he's good. <laughs> because It was written, the first one was written like in 1988. Mm-hmm. I mean, so we've learned a lot since then, yeah. but I thought it was an interesting <laughs> perspective. Because I personally do, I like to enjoy my life a little bit more than what's approved of in the book. I like expensive things, but at the same time, my you know, the way I operate about around buying expensive things is that it is in no way at the expense of what I have planned for my retirement, what I have planned for my midterm and short-term goals, what I have planned for my kids. And if it's in any way going to impact, if if my nice to have, my designer handbag, my whatever flat, fancy um, vacation is in any way going to impact those goals, then I don't do it or I delay it. And that's just the way I operate. Well, but it's all about having a plan and being yeah. intentional with money. And so no one says that you can't have nice things and um, as long as they're part of your budget. And like you said, they're not impacting your your overall life plan. Um, I think his point in the book too was that you don't have to have all those things to, to be a millionaire. Um, and he also wrote a book, um, the millionaire woman. And it talked a little bit about that because as women, we're at risk for a lot of things. Um, we still have a wage gap. Um, Women, if, I mean, let's face it, 50% of America gets divorced. Women are financially adversely impacted through divorce. Um, So there's a lot of planning and idea thinking, and I don't want anybody to get divorced. I don't want anything to happen. And I want to clear the wage gap, but we have to be cognizant of what's happening with our money so that we're planning for that and we're transferring that risk and we have an overall plan. Um, I also like the book, Smart Women Finish Rich by David Bach. Um, just a lot of practical advice. And sometimes I'm like, why do we have men writing about women? Um, but it gives it more, I guess, a third party, kind of an independent. Because, I mean, there's a lot of times I want to high five someone and be like, rock on, go buy your handbag and, you know, go go do all this. Because um, we, I, I, we do deserve it. I mean, women, we work incredibly hard. We're caregivers, we're workers, we're employees, we're volunteers, we're all of these things. Um, it's not that we don't deserve it. But how does that fit into your overall mm-hmm. life plan with your money? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Smart Woman Finish Rich, that book changed my life. That was the first personal finance book I ever read. I have multiple copies of it. And it's an it's an older book. <clears throat> Excuse me, it's an older book, but I still recommend it because, I mean, the way he laid it down, he used his, I know it was a guy writing the book, he used his grandmother as an example, he used his own life experiences. And just the way he, he wrote it down, It at the time I was reading it as a brand new college grad, it just... To me, I was like, oh my God, this is simple. I can be a multimillionaire. This is simple. I think the difficult part 
then becomes self. It's it's you. Mm -hmm. It's the individual. Because, you know, a lot of people think that, oh, you know, money is this advanced thing. It's this complicated thing. It's all this different terminology I don't understand. But it really isn't. Like, if you, if you strip off all of the, I guess, fanciness around money and all the... I guess added added unnecessary complexities around money and you you lay it down it's really very simple it's pay off your debt it's save it's invest it's plan for the long term and it's self it's yourself that causes you know for the most part it's a lot of it's self that causes you not to be successful it's the it's the habits it's the discipline it's the mindset it's the emotions and as women the emotional aspect of things um is big for us because Mm -hmm. we're emotional beings some of some of us are more emotional than others um but our emotion drives a lot of what we do we are givers a lot of us give so much of ourselves and we think of ourselves last at the same time it affects it affects our long-term financial well-being and so there's nothing wrong with being emotional and there's nothing wrong with giving so much of yourself if that's what makes you happy but at the same time you want to make sure that when you're doing all those things you still have a plan for your own well-being um over the long term and it's not as complex as it's made out to seem to have that plan for yourself well and you talked about self and emotions and i agree 100 percent with that and then some of us add a partner to that and mm-hmm. now we're trying to control that self right the second self and um most of the times it seems like this is completely just my opinion is that spenders marry savers, right? <laughs> because <laughs> because we're I'm a saver, my husband's more of a spender because I'm like, oh, you know, opposites attract. I'm mm-hmm. convinced, you know, in one marriage or a partnership, there's always a saver and a spender. And so um, after you, you may have th- think like, oh, I've got this self thing down and then you throw in another person into the mix. Plus the emotions of being in a relationship can sometimes be a stressor. Yeah, yeah, so... So Sarah, what is your, we talked about a couple books that you like, and I'll put those in the show notes, guys, for those of you who are listening, um, Millionaire Next Door and Smart Room and Finish Rich. But when it comes to investing, which is one of the ways that you get to becoming a high net worth individual or even a high earner, um, what is your favorite investing book? Ooh, um, you know, I don't know if I have a favorite investing book. I like The Automatic Millionaire. Um, for me, it's all about automation. It's, um, I think... There's no like get rich quick scheme. Um, and so anything, any investing book that talks about that, I'm totally like, I trash it immediately. Because, <laughs> um, I just think those are scams, honestly. Yes. If, if someone's trying to tell you that it's easy, it is easy if you have time and you have um, automatic investing. Um, but if they're trying to sell you something on get quick. So I like the automatic millionaire because it's simple. Like you said, it's not money does not have to be complicated. It's just, you know, create a plan and stick to it. I mean, it's actually not that difficult. Hmm. Okay. I have a side question to ask you going back to the high net worth. Mm -hmm. When you got those tax returns and you had to, um, you know, kind of give them back their returns, you know, the $55 million a year person, how did you, what was your facial expression like? (laughs) Um, (laughs) How did you keep it professional all the way? (laughs) Well, I mean, I mean, I'm talking, thousands I've done thousands of tax returns and so at some point they just becomes numbers like you're just kind of like okay this is a number this is a transaction um 
it's I don't for me it's not a big deal. I even help my friends with my tax their tax returns and they're like, "Oh, you're seeing my tax return." I'm like, "I really don't care. It's it's just a number for me." So it just when you do it professionally, it's not like a thing. But for the 55 million, I'd be like, "What kind of shoes is that person wearing? Like, does this person look like a $55 million person. And they were very flamboyant compared to the guy who comes in and his Wranglers and his cowboy boots, you know, um, who has assets. I'm from Texas. So that's kind of a, a thing for us. <laughs> I imagine myself handing them over their tax returns and being like, I highly recommend that you think about saving, <laughs> saving more. <laughs> yeah. Or I'd be like, you know, there's some great charities you could give to. Cause when you see their schedule A and they've given nothing, you're like, wow. I mean, um, that's a hard, I don't, I don't know. That's, Honestly, that's just not how I, I, I think if you made 55 million, part of your plan needs to be about giving back. If I made 55 million in a year, I'm never working again. Yeah, I'm done. There's, like, like, I don't know. Like, anyway, I, I'm trying to wrap my head around. That. <laughs> it's not- the same conversation as winning the lottery. To me, it's like winning the lottery, except, I mean, I guess you worked one year you, for but, it. Yeah, but you worked for the 55 million. This, the lottery makes sense because, you know, the stats are that majority of people who win the lottery within seven years are right back where they started because they don't they've never experienced that amount of money they don't have the right resources to support it um people come in and they give 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 and all that kind of stuff but you spend i mean 55 million dollars a year unless you stole it you had to have put in at least a good amount of work and effort into getting that money right um i'm assuming well most of it for is is executives with um stock options and so so those stock options, yeah, I mean, they have worked on it and they've moved the number executives, you know, maybe they have a personal driver or they take these glamorous vacations. I mean, they're, they're, they're made for spending too. I mean, and they have this very um, big, like, I deserve it. I worked hard, which they did. Um, I don't know. So maybe yeah. I'll be able to report back one day. One day. Yeah. A friend of mine wants um, work for one of these executives and they Mm -hmm. went out to a dinner and she told me that she couldn't like she couldn't hide the reaction on her face because the dinner bill for like four of them whatever they ordered the bottles of champagne and wine was over fifty thousand dollars in new york city one dinner for a couple of hours better been some good wine (laughs) better been the best wine she ever had okay guys (laughs) so let's shift gears and sarah what is your clever girl superpower uh, my clever girl superpower is <laughs> is I get stuff done. I'm a doer, so um, <laughs> I've been called in the and professionally like my friends call me the hammer because I'm like <laughs> done. like I get it done. Like I'm I'm on it or um, you know if I feel like I'm good at negotiating contracts. So I sometimes most of the time I get some kind of done turnaround project or things like that. So I'm, I am a doer. Like if you want something done, I will do it. Um, I think that's my, and it's kind of got like some stick to itedness, right? Like, so I, I complete things. So I think that is a good superpower. Um, definitely professionally. Sometimes I'm wish I translated more to home. Cause it's like, I say like, Oh, I'm going to clean out that laundry room and I never do it. So I need to transfer that power to home a little bit more, but <laughs> that's definitely my superpower. Though well, that's a great superpower to have, especially when it comes to your money, cause you're going to get stuff done and stay on top of your goal. So that's awesome. So Sarah, tell folks who are listening, how they can keep in touch with you. You have an awesome podcast that you have to tell us about, and I'm going to be on it soon too. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So where can folks find you? Um, the primary website is plaidforwomen.com. So plaid, like 
you know, a plaid shirt. Um, it's all about women coming together that look look different, act different, come from all different backgrounds, and we come together and make a beautiful pattern. So plaidforwomen.com. And then we also have Plaid Radio by Plaid for Women if you search in iTunes or Google Play. And we have a financial series, um, which Bull is on. And we also interview amazing women and talk about our No Mean Girl campaign. So those are the places you can find us. And all the social media is Plaid for Women on all channels. So Awesome. Thank you so much for being here, Sarah. I really appreciate your time. This was such a fun conversation talking about high net worth people, (laughs) high earners, etc. And I appreciate you being here. So guys, be sure to check out Sarah's website. I'm going to put all those links, the books we talked about, um, the link to her website and podcast in the show notes, so you'll be able to access those there. Thank you guys so much for listening. And thank you for being here, Sarah. Yeah, absolutely. So I hope you guys had as much fun listening to that as I had recording that episode with Sarah. It was such a fun conversation. And if you loved what you listened to, please subscribe to the podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, or Stitcher. You can also listen to episodes on YouTube. And please, please tell a friend and leave a review on the podcast if you have loved it so more people can find it. I'll be back again with a brand new episode soon. Thank you so much for listening.